Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Fergal and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can catch me on Twitter, usually posting stats about 2am, at AndrewRLP. And join me as always is the glorious League Freak, who you can also find on Twitter, at League Freak. How are you doing today, Cobber? I'm really, really happy. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I'm pretty happy too, mate. We've, uh, we've had a pretty good discussion off air and it's, uh, man... Stick with us, people. There's a there's a golden nugget coming up at the end you oh, don't want to miss. At the end, you have to stick around to the end. It is just the best. Um, yeah, the amount of digging around we did just just for the final details on that is oh, you're gonna love it. It's gorgeous. Stupid, yeah, great. <laughs> oh man, okay. All right. Well, before we get there today, we're going to discuss English rugby league and uh, pr- the promotion and relegation system. Mm-hmm. Um, so. A bit of a quick rundown. After the game's debut season at 1895-96, the comp was split into two to form a Lancashire division and a Yorkshire one. In 1902-03, this changed to first and second division. However, after just three seasons, all teams were brought together into one large comp. Um, and that system stayed in place for all but three seasons between 1905-06 and 1961-62. Uh, the, there were three other seasons in that period, which was during the war, where drastically shortened seasons were split into Lancashire and Yorkshire, and Yorkshire divisions again. Uh, in 62-63 and 63-64, they again split into two divisions, but merged together in 64-65. Uh, and then in 1973-74, first and second division again were, uh, um, you know, made, made to happen again after splitting away from the big major competition there. And that was... The uh, first time in the current system where we've actually had first and second division permanently in place. Uh, third division then began being dabbled with in 91, 92. Um, it came and went for a few years there um, and then became a permanent uh, division in 2003, which is where we are now. We've now got Super League. We've got um, Championship and League One, which are your, your top three divisions in that order. So today we're going to look at uh, the promotion relegation system and and discuss whether it's the right system for the English rugby league um, uh, game over there. And if it if it is, how can it be tweaked? If it isn't, how can we replace it? I guess and and moving on from there. So we'll go over to you, mate, and get get your early thoughts. Yeah, well, I've always been against promotion and relegation, and and anybody that is English that I've talked to over the years understands my thoughts on it. Um, I, I just think that it's a club-destroying system. It's one that doesn't allow anybody that's not at the top of the league to build for any sort of future. I think that it is a false promise for teams in the lower divisions to look to outspend themselves and, and spend beyond their, their means. Um, I really don't like it at all. I don't think that it works for English Rugby League whatsoever. And I think that there are much better systems in place that would allow the game to actually build and grow rather than have this trapdoor waiting and threatening a lot of clubs in the top division or having, having a carrot dangled in front of lower division clubs where instead of trying to build for 10 years' time, they kind of look towards building for, you know, the next 12 to 18 months because if they can jag a promotion 
there's a lot of money on offer there and, and it, it sets up almost this so this false promise of, look, if we get into the first division, we'll be right, we'll be on our way then. But as soon as you get into that first division, you've got that trapdoor waiting right straight away. And I just think that it's not a good system to build a sport. And that's something that English Rugby League needs to look at is to build rather than having a system in place that kind of undermines building a club. Yeah, I fully agree. Um, I've I've always been curious as to why uh, the English Rugby League have persisted with essentially a, a soccer idea, in my view, um, promotion and relegation. It's it's yeah. It, to me, it makes no sense. But I suppose I'm speaking from someone who's never had to live through it being you know in Australia, mm-hmm. but. That whole concept where, you know, you could be a team that gets decimated by injuries, which is Mm. very possible. And Mm -hmm. it could render your side unable to perform at its best and they drop down to last or second last and get relegated. Mm -hmm. That's not fair. More than anything, because the team getting relegated, I mean, as soon as you go down that grade, everything drops off. Your support base starts to stop turning up to games. The supporters start walking away. The... Uh, sponsors start walking away, the money starts drawing up, makes it so much harder to get back in there again. Um, yeah. Also, a lot of players don't want to play in second division if they've already been playing in the top division or a higher division. So if they know the team they're playing for is going downhill, they'll look for contracts to stay in the comp they're in or go to the one above that if possible. You know, they, they don't want to go backwards anywhere. No one does. Yeah, no, and so, no, nobody at all does. Like, it's it goes through everyone. I mean, no coach wants to drop down from the top division to the second division. No player, no sponsor wants it. No season ticket holder wants it. No, you know, no non-committed fan who might be like, oh, I'll turn up because I just like watching the top grade. A lot of them disappear as well. Um, you also get to the point where people that are funding the club, like chairman and stuff, they don't get as excited about dropping back a division and having all of these people leave. They start thinking to themselves, well, why am I tipping money in? Not just because it's not just about keeping the club alive. It's about, well, I was tipping all this money in to be Super League Club and obviously that didn't work. And now I'm supposed to be tipping money in to pay, you know, to pay for a second division team and there's, it's just the commitment level drops, and that's a natural process. That's something that you can't you can't have regulations against. Um, it also stops, for instance, a club that might be in the lower part of your top division, who might have a, a good junior base, and might have a good supporter base, but they can only really offer everyone from sponsors to players to coaches. They can only offer a certain amount to those groups because those groups know that, as you say, a bad run with injuries or just a bad run of results, and they might be in the second division. And who wants to commit to that? Not very many people do. That's right. It's a huge, huge risk for sponsors. Mm. And that's probably a large reason why, um, other than your top two or three sides in the Super League, Wigan, Leeds, and Helens, um, other than them, the rest of the clubs really are fighting amongst each other for, mm. you know, places, not just places in the top eight, but also for sponsors who are willing to be game enough to take a bit of a punt on them because they know that those three sides aren't as solid and more likely to be successful than the other three mentioned because it's just the way it is there. It always has been. Yeah. Um, 
well, not always, but, you know, the last 20 or 30 years anyway, which is a long time. That's a long form line that's it's pretty reliable at this stage. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to get, especially if you've been newly promoted or if you're a team that's constantly on the cusp of being relegated, you're not going to be drawing yourself big sponsorship because everyone's waiting for the bad to happen, not the good to happen. Exactly, Because yeah. everyone wants to protect their investment, not take a risk on, you know, hoping it's going to get better. They want a yeah. safe investment. They don't want a risky one. And that's what it all comes down to. So in my eye, um, if you cut off the whole promotion relegation thing as it is currently and allowed clubs to probably get promoted or relegated maybe every four years perhaps, you know, look at it that way. So if a team has been constantly getting the wooden spoon in the top division for three or four years, you just go, mm-hmm. okay, it's pretty clear they don't deserve to be here. We're going to drop them down a division for everyone's sake. Mm-hmm. And the best team that's in the lower, in the, in the second division or the, the next one down, who have constantly been at the top, we'll move them up a grade because they're, they're doing all the right things. They've set themselves up for success. Let's give them a chance then. But you, you want to give them, you want to see proven results. You want to see that they've been doing it for a while and have earned that call up and they've got a solid base to start from instead of just one fortunate run and bang, they're in the top division. And it's just yeah. all a bit flimsy after that once they get in there because if they don't, if it doesn't work out, that's the thing, okay? The team that gets promoted, they are immediately the team most at risk of getting relegated because they haven't played in this level the mm-hmm. previous year. So it's all new to them again. So they're the ones immediately at risk of being relegated again. And no one's going to commit to a team going up and down between divisions. It's just it's just yeah. the way it is. And and it's the ultimate, and we always talk about this with as rugby league supporters, we always talk about how terrible the administration of the game is, and it is. It's terrible, and it's terrible everywhere. Like, I mean, even in Australia, the difference is they've got money to make mistakes. Um, the, the thing you look at is, well, there's so much short-term thinking. Promotion and relegation is the worst short-term thinking idea you could have. I mean, this idea that a team has a bad season, let's get rid of them. A team has one good season, let's bring them up. It's the worst in short-term thinking that you could possibly have. And to make it part of your rules is just silly, in my opinion. The other thing that you we've seen in Super League is that over the course of Super League, we have only had a few teams that have been successful. And the teams that have been more success, even in that very small group of teams, the teams that have been way more successful than everyone else, Earlier on was the Bradford Bradford Bulls, and then it's kind of it went into the Leeds And I know that St Helens and Wigan have been there or thereabouts. But if you're looking for the teams that were you could say were dynasties, have been dynasties over the over Super since Super League come in, it's really been those two teams. And when you have a look at what happened to the Bradford Bulls, in that they had all of this success. And I remember talking to English fans about this. Had all this success, they were just winning everything. They were untouchable, and it was all based around a, a group of players that came together at the right time, um, and they had the coach in place and everything. And I remember saying at the time that it, that you can't set up a club for when everything is running perfectly and you're winning everything, because as soon as something as soon as you start going downhill and it happens with every great team, no team wins every single competition every single year. It just doesn't happen. 
as soon as things start to go downhill for you and you, you come to the other side of that success, you've got to be in rude health for that moment. And you looked at the Bradford Bulls and they went bust. As soon as they weren't winning everything, they went bust and they were at the back door. And now I worry that we're seeing that a little bit with the Leeds Rhinos. And I know Leeds Rhinos fans will be sitting there saying, well, but we're different. Once upon a time, I talked to Bradford Bulls fans who said the exact same thing. And that is the worry with this system, that you can have a club that really should, for every single reason, be in the top grade, but you have a bad year or you have a bad run. And you just need to retool what was once a, a very successful team. But you don't have that opportunity because there's that trapdoor there. And it doesn't give you the opportunity to say, look, we had a, an, an amazing time in our team's history. We had a group of players that were all around similar ages. They all were winning. But now that they all retire very quickly or we have to move them on very quickly, we can't say, look, in five years' time, we can retool with a bunch of youngsters. We can get back to being a, a good club once again. You don't have that opportunity, even if you're a champion team. And I think that some of these other teams, look, Wigan even went through a, a period where they had that happen and they just avoided being relegated. St. Helens have been the one team that has probably been able to recycle their squad a little bit better. And you can say that's through better management or you can say that's been through a little bit of luck. Either way, it doesn't matter which way you look at it. But even for these top sides, you can see that there's that there's that real danger for them that relegation poses where a top side just can't be given the time to, to put themselves together. And it's just almost as though if you look at the teams in Super League, there's almost three different categories that you see in that the top sides, the champion teams, there's a danger for them. You've got the middle of the table teams who try and just stay out of the relegation zone. And then you've got the lower table teams who they're really just fighting and scrapping just to stay out of being relegated. And really, it's not healthy for anybody. No, I fully agree. Um, and it hasn't been made easier by the implementation of a salary cap over there because that kind of goes against uh, promotion and relegation systems mm. because mm-hmm. yeah, a salary cap's brought in place in Australia because there is no promotion relegation. So it's it's designed there to make to give every team an equal chance, to mm. give them all the same amount of money, you've got the same amount to spend on each player, you know, as on players as everybody else. Yeah. Whereas um because obviously the NRL is providing those funds to the clubs, whereas in England, um, that's not the case there. So the clubs that have got the big money, like Leeds and Wigan and St Helens, you know they can spend a bit more. Well, they were able to, but now they've got to put a handbrake on that because yeah. they've got a salary cap there. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they have one bad year, as we're seeing with Leeds, they're not able to, you know, fix it by spending money on another player to get themselves back into form and back where they where they should be, as they've probably done in the past. Instead, they've got to sit there and cop it. And so with, with that yeah, in mind... It's sort of helping sorry. push players... Sorry, it's okay. I was just going to... It's sort of helping push teams, even the strong ones, closer to relegation. Yeah, exactly. Which is not... I don't see how that's a smart move in any way whatsoever. No, and even if you account for the fact that the top teams in Super League 
they have the salary cap, but then we know there's the other salary cap, right? And <laughs> they find ways to get talent that other teams could never afford somehow. I think it's pixie dust, but I'm not accusing any club of doing anything illegal. I just think it's, you know, magic. Um, well, look, so- I'll, just, I'll just say, look, I think one of the things, though, is, okay, is people, even with the salary cap in place, people will pick Wigan, Leeds and Helens over other clubs even if they're offering the same size contract because the chance of winning something at those three clubs is greater than at the others. Yeah, and, and the stability are still of driven your contract. By success. Yeah. The stability and- of your contract too. You can sign, say, a three-year deal at, say, for instance, St. Helens, and you can be pretty assured that within that three years, you're not going to have your team be relegated and the club say, I'm sorry, we can't afford your contract. Uh, you have to look elsewhere. You know, it's a pretty stable environment. That's right. So, so yeah. Let, well, let's have a look at some of the some of the statistics that we've been able to bring together. I mean, the first thing to look at is the promotion and relegation has not actually been in place that many seasons. When you look at the overall history of British rugby league, no, that's right. As I said, it's only been permanent since seventy three, seventy four. So we're looking at uh, what's that thirty uh, forty. 45 years, 46 yep. years. And the, um, other, the other thing, to, the other statistic to look at, because I know, I've talked to British fans about this for a long, long time now, they say that if it's not part of, if it's not ingrained in British rugby league's history, at the very least, it's ingrained in British sporting history. And so we had a look at some, the other British sport that uses promotion and relegation. Um, and we looked at the number of premiers that they've had since 1988, it was, because we wanted to do 30 years, because 30 years is a damn good sample size. And the only the only league that we come up with that had less premiers in that time, and, and a, to, a top league, we're talking top of the line now, we're not talking about some weird, you know, fourth division in, you know, Lancashire or something. The only top-of-the-line big commercial league we could come up with with less premiers was the Scottish Football League, which has only had two different teams win it going back to 1989, and that is either Celtic or the Rangers. And we even saw issues there when Rangers run into some issues and that was it. They got punted. And guess what? Since that happened, it's been Celtic, Celtic, Celtic. Like, it's just been the one team. So <laughs> don't give me this idea that that is a good thing, even for Scottish soccer or Scottish football. Because, you know, well, guess who's going to win it next year? Probably Celtic. <laughs> yeah. it's um, This is a crazy thing too, okay? You know, probably since about... Um, since the time that they went to this two-division system, mm-hmm. they've only had 11 teams, 11 different teams in those 46 years win the top title. That's crazy. And only five back to 1986. Five. Five different champions since 1986. is It's not good. It's not healthy. It's not it's healthy not. for and, competition. And I just find it hard to believe that having such monotonous regularity with your competition 
is such a bad thing for trying to advertise and trying to get people in other areas invested in it. Because mm. at the moment, Wigan, Leeds and St. Helens, um, they are propping up the entire competition. If those three clubs disappeared tomorrow, what chance is there that rugby league exists beyond 10 years? Because that's the situation I'm looking at right now is that how can you argue against that? They, and it's because they've been allowed to, um, because of the system there and the way they're set up, you know, they obviously run better than all the other clubs. Mm-hmm. It's meant that they dominated so heavily over everybody else that no one else is out of looking. You had Bradford win a few titles there in the early 2000s. That's, that's it since, since, um, since Witness had a, had a winning run at the late 80s. Yeah, that's, just, and- that's crazy. And you look at you've got to look at it from a whole game perspective as well. How do you, if you're running say Wakefield Trinity, how do you go into a season and say buy our season buy season tickets? We're putting together as good a side as we can, but statistics suggest we are no chance at all of winning the title. Because if you go back, you've got to go back a long, 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 long time since they were they were the champions. Um, and under this current system, it's a closed shop, basically, that, that you, there's only a couple of sides that can win it, and they will win it. And until we see different, you can. It, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they're going to keep winning it again and again and again. It's very hard for these teams that are below those top sides that – for them to sell anything. I mean, how do you sell it to a top coach? How do you sell it to a sponsor? How do you go to a sponsor and say, look, we know what you want. You you want to be the headline act in the headline events. We're sorry, we can't give that to you. You know, you'll have to go to Leeds, Wigan or St. Helens for that, but we can't give it to you. And it just undermines everything. And and I'm talking about teams that are mid-table here. How do you do it if you're the London Broncos? You know, how do you how do you do that? How do you say win no chance? But you know, come on board because magic. You never it, it know. Doesn't make, yeah, it's like well, it, yeah, it just makes no sense. Well, this, and this, you've I suppose got to think from a whole game perspective because I always say that the strength of a competition isn't based on the the strongest team. It's based on the the weakest team. And that's the thing that NRL has going for it and has always had going for it, that even the worst <coughs> sorry, the worst sides in the NRL, they're pretty damn good. Yeah, and it, you know that they don't need a huge amount of work to get better than where they are. Mm. Um, but like, it's just... The, the thing that's, I guess, frustrating here is that there's so much potential over there in England as well with that game because it's been around so long. It should be doing better than it is. And at mm. the moment, I believe that this promotion relegation system is denying them any chance of moving forward and getting better or getting bigger mm-hmm. um, because it's not successful. No. If it, was, if it was successful, you'd be seeing different teams becoming premiers and different teams having success. All we're seeing is the same three teams at the top all the time and everybody else is just moving around the ladder and up and down competitions and stuff. It's not proving to be helpful in any way to anyone. But we, if we have to look at the last time a team was promoted from second division into the top grade, they actually became um, champion or premier. Pretty sure you've got to go back to the, to, to Wigan, who were promoted mm-hmm. in 81-82. That's a yeah. long time for a team to get promoted 
you know, and yeah. actually, make, actually make success in the top division. Yep. And, and it's, I mean, that's a completely different era of, like, life. Forget sport, forget rugby league, life in general. Um, and, and and it just shows how broken this system is. And, and we were looking at different champ like how many champions the Scottish football's top division has had. They've had more than Super League. Um, the Italian division has had more than Super League. Uh, you know, the only one we really could come up with was the Scottish Football League. And, you know, that's always seen as it works in, in these different leagues. It might work better in these different leagues, even if you say it really does. I'll, I'll, I'll concede that. I don't think it does personally. But if you concede that argument straight straight away, it's still not working for English Rugby League. And... Like, so let's have a look at, because we come up with some statistics to line it up with the NRL, how many different premiers we've had in the NRL since in the last 30 years compared to English Rugby League. All right, well, the NRL's had 13 different premiers since 1989-90, so that's over the last 30 years. The English Premier League, their top-line soccer competitions, had seven different champions, mm-hmm. and the RFL's had five so that's Super League and the top division championship before that. Yeah, and so and they're massive differences. Um, you know, five in thirty years—that's not exciting at all. And I think we could probably say that the gap between the English game in you know thirty years ago, eighty-nine, ninety, and the New South Wales Rugby League was nowhere near as wide as it is today. No, not at all. And I think because it was in 1990 that the New South Wales Rugby League, which became the NRL, um, 1990s when they brought in the salary cap, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until it became, you know, it wasn't until after Super League that it became something that governed all players in the side and became the the thing that it is today. Mm. But what has been in place for the entirety of the game in Australia is no team's ever been in a promotion slash relegation situation. And so let's have a look at that. So we'll look at what would have happened to the Australian League if we did have relegation in place. But what we're going to do, because our our argument is that you can finish last in the competition, but you don't get a chance to build. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Australian teams that finished at at the bottom end of the table in the last two positions in the table, and then ha- were allowed to build from that and had success within the next three seasons. So let's have a look at that list of teams. First of all, we'll look at those list of teams that were able to do that. And then we will look at the list of, and then we will relegate them so they don't get a chance to do that. And we'll tell you which teams would have replaced them. Yes. All right. So we'll start in 2001 where Penrith won the wooden spoon. In 2003, they went on to become premier. So we'll have a look at 2001 there. They would have been relegated. Who would have brought? Would have, who would have come up? Okay, so we're going you have to. Them? Yeah, yeah, I've got them. I'm just waiting for the page to reload. <laughs> okay, so in 2001, Penrith get relegated. Now we've got two different result. What we would basically call reserve grade leads or, or second division comps in Australia. We've got the New South Wales Cup and we've got the Queensland Cup. And so we're going to tell you who 
at the very least would have been in with the shot because they were the premiers of those competitions that year. Uh, so in 2001, in the New South Wales Cup, it would be the St George Illawarra Dragons reserve grade team who were the premiers, or it would have been the Toowoomba Clydesdales. So either one of those teams would have replaced the Penrith Panthers in 2001, and it would have meant that we didn't have the Panthers winning the premiership in the NRL in 2003. And look, I don't know about you, but I would suggest that not a real good move for the NRL if that would have happened. No, I uh, I fully agree. And you see it as we go on. I mean, the West Tigers from 2001 to 2003 were in the bottom three mm-hmm. um, in all three of those seasons. And in 2005, they won the premiership there. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2002, um, I think Canterbury won the New South Wales Cup competition. Yep, they did. And who was it for the Queensland Cup? For, for 2002, it was the Redcliffe Dolphins. Redcliffe, right. Um, and they won again in 2003 from memory too. Yep. Um, and in and 2003 for the New South Wales Cup, it was the Canberra Raiders reserve grade team. So you would have had, um, yeah, reserve grade teams from the New South Wales Cup replacing an NRL side that would have gone on to win a premiership in 2005. Um, then you got the Roosters in 2009 who won the Wooden Spoon and the year after that they were in the grand final. So we've got in 2009 from the Queensland Cup, it would have been the Sunshine Coast Sea Eagles or 2009 it would have been the Bankstown City Bulls <laughs> from the New South Wales Cup. Would have, And either of those teams would have replaced a foundation club in the NRL who had a bad season. Yeah, and turned it around immediately. Mm. Um, 2014, the Sharks got the wooden spoon, and two years later, they became premiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they... in, the, in New South Wales Cup, it was the Penrith Panthers reserve grade, or 2014, in the Queensland Cup, it would have been the Northern Pride, who were based in Cairns. And in 2016, the Roosters were second last and they went on to become premiers in 2018. So the New South Wales Cup premier in 2016 was uh, the Illawarra Cutters. Mm-hmm. And who was it for the Queensland Cup? For the Queensland Cup, it was the Burley Bears. The Burley Bears. Yeah, we'll talk about them a little bit later on. <laughs> <laughs> we will. So we're seeing there straight away that the benefit of not having teams getting relegated is that when something does go wrong, and it invariably does, a team gets a chance to reset, goes through, has a look at their roster, has a look at their coaching system, has a look at what's going on off the field, their finance, stuff like that, and they can rearrange the whole program, everything about it, get themselves fixed up, and who knows, the next year or two years or three years later, they might become premiers. And we found that because this... Because there's so many teams that have become premiers in the in the NRL, especially since 2000, it's meant that there's so much uncertainty over which team's going to win the premiership. It creates more anticipation about the season and every week of the season as it goes on because who's going to win the title? Even this year, people are still sitting there going, okay, the Roosters look like they should be the team to beat and they're going to win it. But there's that hoodoo about teams 
being unable to win back-to-back titles since 92. Mm-hmm. And so straight away, it's in the back of your head and you're automatically thinking, okay, so who's the next team that can take it? Is it going to be South? Or is it going to be Canberra? Who knows? In six weeks' time, form's changed around. It could be Melbourne again. You know, Brisbane might be back up there. Penrith might have gone on a run. It's just too hard to predict. And that's that uncertainty is the one thing that fuels um, interest and gets sponsors involved and gets TV rights up because you're not just showing the same two or three teams all the time on TV. You're showing all of the teams all the time on TV. Just That's more eyes on the game, more eyes on more clubs, which means more sponsors get involved, but that just means more money. It's just more of everything, whereas at the moment you've got promotion and relegation in there. You're only going to get a few clubs that are going to get good sponsors because they're going to get the the lion's share of all the attention. They're going to be on TV more often. They're going to be constantly in the top division. They're going to be on the winner's jumpers all the time. Mm -hmm. So all the rest are just struggling for what's left over, and it makes it hard to promote a comp when... You know, you know, there's a 33% chance you're going to get the, you're going to predict the the right premier at the end of the year. It's going to be one of three teams. Exactly, and I, I look at my experience as a Penrith Panthers supporter in 2001, and I mean that that season was terrible. It was terrible to be a Panthers fan around that time. Um, and the Panthers are a development club. They're one of the teams that rely on their junior development and. You know, when I say they rely on it, they're kind of rude in in the sense that they've got more juniors than any other club, you know, in the world. Um, but if you imagine watching that 2001 season, which was hard to watch anyway, you, and you, you could, but you could see they were bringing in some talent. There were players in that 2001 team like a Luke Lewis, Luke Rooney, uh, Reese Wesser. There were players in those teams that you it gave you hope. It was like, you know what, we're terrible this year, but these young kids, they're bloody good. Like they look like they could make something of their careers. And it just turned out that they ended up being premiers a couple of years later. But if we were going to get relegated, you'd watch that season and you'd say, Wow, we're gonna lose these kids. We're gonna lose them to other teams. And they would have gone to top sides. They're not going to go to middle of the table. They're not going to go to lower table teams. They don't want to be relegated if they they know their careers are going somewhere. But in, in because we weren't relegated, we were able to keep those players. They knew that they're in the top team, the top division. They knew they could stick with their local club, and they knew that something would be built out of that club. And what was built from that team. And a lot of players left, and I mean, coaching changes, all sorts of things. What was built from that team was a premiership winning team. And you just do not have that ability under promotion and relegation. And there will be people that will say, well, you know, they if they got relegated, you know, you get youngsters that are loyal to the club and they don't want to. And it's like, no, no, this is the modern day. You know, nobody, nobody wants to say, well, I'm the best player in the third division for my local town. It just doesn't work that way anymore. People don't put those players on their wall when they, they're putting up posters. They go for the stars. They go for the, you know, I want to be a national hero. I want to be an international superstar. It, it's changed. And, and that that idea that those youngsters want to stick with their local team, it just doesn't happen. 
they leave. Once they get to a certain level, they leave for more money. That's true. And, um, you know, it's a repetitive theme. Like what you said about Penrith there and all those genius coming through. I mean, it happened again with the Tigers in 2003 when they had, you know, players like Dean Collis, Benji Marshall, Bryce Gibbs, Liam Fulton, Robbie Farrow, Dean Hallitow, Chris mm-hmm. Hyington. Yeah, you know, it's such a big group of players there that were under the age of 22 who were all coming through at the same time. And two years later, if they got a bit of experience and they got a bit more used to the, the grind of the game, they come out and they win a premiership. Mm-hmm. And you can't, that would never would have happened um, when they're in that transition phase where they were getting rid of a lot of the older players they'd first inherited when they, you know, after they merged and a few bad purchases along the way. Um, and they went through this process where they started getting the juniors coming into the side. And, you know, when you bring young kids into the, into it, any team, you're going to have a bit of a downturn in form as they get used to the, the step up. And, it's almost like you're punishing a club for bringing in young players by having, you know, bringing having a relegation system because clubs are will fear bringing in too many juniors, even though they need to to stay strong and relevant and move forward. But there's that fear that if we bring in too many, we'll start becoming unsuccessful. Then we might get dished, and then we lose the juniors to another club anyway. Exactly, and you, you're killing development. Like development yeah. is a disincentive. The interesting thing with the NRL clubs is that you then get a club like the Sydney Roosters, who I'm willing to say is a franchise these days. Um, They don't have a junior league. Uh, They do have a junior league, but it's not a local junior league. It's like up the coast somewhere. Um, And even them, they were able to, as a franchise, attract players. They were able to say to top-of-the-line players that, you know what, we won the wooden spoon, but you can come here. We're still going to be in the top grade. We're aiming for the title. And they they did. They won it. You, you just don't have that in Super League. And you don't have that in a promotion and relegation system. So if you look at the Leeds Rhinos, if they got the wooden spoon this year in Super League and they ended up being relegated, they couldn't say, look, we've obviously this team didn't work out this year. But let's target some top-of-the-line talent. Let's bring in some good youngsters that we maybe have on the books. And let's go for it again next year. Let's try and do better. They can't do that. They're relegated. They're going to lose so many of their players. They're going to lose stars. They're going to lose sponsors. That's a terrible system. That that kills a club. Yeah, it's, it really does. Um, the same thing goes for clubs like, you know, lease insurance. And those, those teams that are constantly in that, that middle area going up and down between divisions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that can't be good for finances when you go up and everything, everyone's all positive and happy and everything, and then you, you're not quite good enough there and you come back down a grade. And while you might be one of the top teams in the second division, you're in the second division. Um, yeah, and you're not, like you're not in Super League. The lease insurance was a really good one recently in that they basically had their sights set on Super League. They were really good in the second division. And when they couldn't get that step up to Super League, they were like, well, that's it. The the chairman was like, all the money's gone. And you can't have situations like that where, you you know, the incentive is such that you have to make Super League as the top team in the second division for most of the season. If you don't make Super League, you're stuffed. 
You can't have that sort of incentive in place. And we've even seen um, Super League teams that not even bottom of the table teams, we've seen like mid-table teams where they just go broke mid-season um, and they have to restart a whole new company like in a week to run out a team the following week. And it, it just is so bad. And that's not what you want. You want to build things. You want to have a long-term plan. You can't be always looking over your shoulder at death while you're also looking ahead at the impossible goal of winning Super League. It, it doesn't work. And I think that it's time for Super League to go away for something like that. And I like the idea, as you said earlier, of maybe have, you know, even get rid of relegation completely, but have something in place where if you're a second division team and you're winning second division year after year after year, expand the comp, you know, expand the competition and say, look, we're going to give you even five years to come into the top grade to build your squad up to be able to offer something to sponsors. And look, five years isn't that long in itself, but it's better than one year. It's better than three years. At least in five years, you can say to players, look, we're going to be around for at least five years. You can say that to your sponsors. You can say that to your best junior players. And it at least gives you a chance because anything less than five years, you're just treading water until you drop back down. Yeah, it's something's got to happen. I've I've long advocated too that I think Super League needs to have more teams in it. I think mm-hmm. at the moment they've got twelve sides and all but four of them make the finals every year, which just seems absurd. You know, why not just put all twelve teams in the finals? There's only four missing out. It just seems crazy. <laughs> you know, so I'd be inclined to either they go back to having a top five final series, which they won't do, or I'd probably put in fourteen fourteen to sixteen teams in the Super League. And try and get teams that are outside of that Northern England sphere. Try and get in some expansion sides. I'd like you put Toronto in there. Um, you know, just try and have the game being spread over a wider area, which means a wider audience. Mm-hmm. And yeah, lock it down and say, right, this is how it's going to stay with these teams for at least the next five years. At the end of those five years, we'll go through and get the win percentage of each team over that period. And we'll also look at their finances. Um sponsorship money, fan base, that sort of thing. Look at all of those things, not just what they're doing on the field and go, right, after looking at all of that, these are the two weaker sides. Um, they can they can then play off against the two strongest teams under the same criteria in second division. And whoever wins games between those two in a, in a, like a little series between them, whoever comes out on top of that, the top two sides out of that little competition can come up into Super League and the other two can go down. And if you have a bit more um, certainty over positions, it's it's going to help the game. It's going to help the clubs. It's going to help everything get better and stronger. Some teams, this is going to sound harsh, some teams don't deserve to be in the Super League. And it's mm-hmm. not saying that because they're not good enough or they're badly running like that. There's just teams that just, they just aren't there. Mm. And they've never really got there. Yeah. Um, And they come from areas that they don't have the corporate base to ever, 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 ever compete with a team like Leeds. Um, And and there's just some areas where it would be wonderful if you could have the team compete. But there's just not the local infrastructure for it. And when that comes into play, 
And, and it's another thing with the expansion clubs that they're pushing along. I mean, you can't say that we're trying to expand the comp and Super League desperately needs the likes of the London Broncos, Toronto, uh, a second like the Toulouse. I mean, they desperately need these teams in areas that are are actual cities rather than small towns because to have most of the competition based in small towns, major sponsors look at those things and they just say, who are we, who are we, you want us to be your major sponsor, but we're selling to small towns. That's not what we're about. You know, that's how you get St. Helens glasses, your major sponsor for a top club. You, you want to be aiming for national sponsors. You want to be aiming for the big end of town. And when you don't even have a team in the big end of town, it's really hard to get anybody on board. Um, you know, sponsors and television companies and broadcasters and all this, they want to be able to spread the word of the game and of their product and of their company to everyone, as many people as they can. It's all about catchment. And when you go to them saying, well, we're mostly based in small towns, you're on the back foot straight away. I mean, you might not even get in you know, a meeting based on that. And so when you look to expand the competition, and look, it is very, very, very exciting to have Toronto. It is very exciting to have Toulouse. It is very exciting to have the London Broncos. They desperately needed those clubs in Super League. But you can't build those clubs up and you can't expand the competition when you've got the trap door as well where they could be out the door. And you think of all of the amazing work that has happened with Toronto. Can you imagine if they come up to Super League for one year and then got relegated? Like, what do the backers of the club then think? What do the fans then think? It's a terrible situation, and it can't go on. And even if you look to just combine the top two divisions in and that would be absolutely insane if you did that. But even if you did that, that's a better scenario than promotion and relegation because at least then you're giving some sort of certainty to those teams that are in expansion areas that you need to have in your competition. Yeah, I fully agree. Um, either that or they look at dishing out you know, licenses over a set period of time so teams don't go up and down. And so you pay for a license for as long as you can stay there for. You know, if you can afford to buy a license for three years, well, then you get three years there. If you can afford one for 10 years, then you got 10 years. But, you know, there just there needs to be something more solid, uh, reliable, and because it's only going to help the game. That's the, that's the end point. Exactly. And you want to be, and it's interesting because Super League's at a funny point now that a lot of people in the game and at, at clubs and individuals and coaches and that they're saying that that because there's no real um, structure under super league clubs, they're saying, look, we desperately need to have a competition that has a, res a proper reserve grade underneath it. We need to have that same infrastructure that NRL clubs do. Cause I mean, NRL clubs have all of the junior rep teams that they have underneath. And I'm not talking about just clubs. These are junior rep teams. I mean, you look at a team like Penrith, they've got hundreds of teams in their junior leagues, but then they've got their junior rep teams and then they've got the reserve grade team. And you need that infrastructure to have a full club and it not just be a franchise. 
And now we're seeing Super League clubs saying that they need to have that in place going forward. And so it, it makes you question, like, because in an ideal world, and the way that we have it in the NRL is that our second divisions in the New South Wales Cup and Queensland Cup, they're the reserve grade teams. And I've always said that what should happen in Super League is that you should have Super League teams linking up with their second a second division club and making them the reserve grade side. And English fans hate that idea. They hate the idea that their local second division, and I'm just calling that the second division team to simplify it, their local second division team would be a feeder team into a Super League team. They hate that idea. But the alternative is that your second division team is just irrelevant for the most part anyway. Um, and it misses out on funding that they would get from that Super League club. It misses out on good young players that that Super League club might put into that team. It misses out on players that are maybe, you know, fringe Super League players that would be dropped back or, or come in and out of that team. It works really well over here in Australia. And it's, it has seen the Queensland Cup be really, really strong, for like really strong to the point where somewhere like Redcliffe has been talked about as, ending up in the NRL maybe in the next few years. It's something that Super League needs to look at right now, but I think that definitely when you look at promotion and relegation, it's not the system that needs to be in place. It undermines everyone. Like, it just undermines absolutely every club at some level, and it's one that we both think is not the way forward for English Rugby League and has been proven over a big enough sample size that it needs to be scrapped completely in another... I don't know that franchising is the way forward unless you go for five-year franchises. And I think even then it's it's not really long enough. I preferred it, it to be a closed shop and then for Super League to say, look, if we see a team that seems like it has everything in place financially um, with junior development, with success on the field with success off the field we're willing to bring those teams in but other than that we're we're not willing to expand the comp yeah no that's that's fair enough too i think that it definitely needs to be a a closed shop it doesn't you can't have that fluidity going all the time because no team's playing with confidence they're all playing with fear and that's Mm -hmm. that's just no good for anyone yeah so Um, one of our i was gonna say onto our golden nugget yes now this come up because we started looking at the Queensland Cup winners and the Burley Bears come up as one of the teams that would have ended up being promoted if we had promotion and relegation in the NRL. Now, I think there's a lot of English fans that know where we're going with this, but we're still <laughs> going to go there. <laughs> so tell us about probably the highlight moment for the Burley Bears as a club. Well, uh, in 1999... Australia decided to have the first tri-series between New Zealand, Great Britain, and Australia. And the Great Britain side came over to Australia, and they played a few games before the uh, the series started, warm-up games. Mm-hmm. Um, using the word warm a fair bit here. <laughs> um, yes. The, uh, the first game they played over here was at uh, Pizzy Park in Burley. And, and it's and actually it's... called Pizzy Park. Like, we're not yep. calling it a pissy park. It's Pizzy yep. with Zs. Yep. And... Uh, they played against the Burley Bears, which had about six or seven former, you know, top-grade players in it. Um, and Great Britain had 
they had the 13, but they were allowed to have 11 reserves as well in the game because it was just a, a trial, you know, exhibition game, so to speak. So a 24-man team. Yep, and Burley had 18 men, so they had six less. Mm-hmm. And the game was um, played in in quarters because yes. of the because of the weather. Obviously, Extreme we know that in, we know that in Queensland it does get quite hot, and it was in yes. October, mid October, which is yes. leading into summer, which traditionally is a pretty warm month in Australia. Yeah, um, and so we well, thought we, we thought on, what we'd on. do is we'd um, I'll set it up for you. We, we thought what we'd do is trying to try and be fair to England because more than likely it was a pretty hot day. We went searching for the temperature. Um, how did you go on, mate? Well, we searched for the temperature on the day, and we couldn't find it online, right? So I rang up the Bureau of Meteorology myself. This was just before we started recording. And they gave us the temperature on the day on the Gold Coast, which is where Burley basically is. The temperature that day, the the maximum, by the way, I'm not talking about the at kickoff at this game, but the maximum temperature on that day where you had to bring in unlimited interchange and play four-quarter football, 23.9 <laughs> degrees. That was the maximum. I'm still wearing a hoodie. Because <laughs> uh, that, that sea breeze, oh. Oh, that, that would have been decimating. Oppressive conditions, twenty three point nine degrees, and they're like, "Let's, man, we need four quarter football. This is too much for us, and we need unlimited interchange as well." How brilliant is that? And can you tell uh, us how what the what the incredible scoreline was at the end of that match? Well, at halftime, Burley were leading six to four, <laughs> and uh, I uh, the Poms scored a uh, scored a try in the second half to win the game ten six. Wow. In front of just under five thousand fans, what a performance! Um, look, it was—it's not all bad. I mean, they had to—they had to overcome a sixteen to six penalty deficit. That's true. Yeah, they um, were probably. I would guess that that was just the heat. You know, some of them tackles that were laying on them too long. The heat was getting to them. <laughs> Pretty much twenty four degrees. Whew. It's uh, oh, it was, it was a pretty pretty good um. Uh, English side too. I mean, you had Andy Farrell, Adrian Morley, Dennis Betts, Barry McDermott, all in the forwards. Um, that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was I mean, a good it was a good forward pack. I mean, look, the bench. You look at their bench, right? Paul Anson, Kieran Cunningham, uh, Andy Hay, Paul Johnson, Chris Joint. Uh, it like the, I mean, even the bench. Sean Long's on the bench. Paul Sculthorpe's on the bench. Yeah, it, this. This is a 24-man team. This is an unlimited interchange 24-man squad. Their back line, Chris Radlinski, Jason Robinson, Gary Connolly, Keith Senior, Francis Cummings. I mean, Keith Senior probably sold his jersey from that game. He was good at selling stuff on eBay. Um, unbelievable. This is one of my favourite games in the history of British Rugby League. And to find out today that they played four-quarter football because it was 23.9 degrees is just, it's like a gift that I've been given and that I will always cherish for the rest of my days. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, that is, uh, that, that was phenomenal. I'm sitting there listening to you on the phone there with the Bureau of Meteorology going, <laughs> are we really going to get this? And, yep, yep, and it was 24, my goodness. 
Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, that, and that was the Tri-Series where they were just, they were just a non-factor. Man. But, but at, at least they've turned it around since then. And, and Oh, wait a minute. No, they haven't. Sorry. <laughs> well, you know, they've got James Graham out here playing in 30-degree weather now, and he seems to be okay with it. Oh, it, it, just, port- it just gets very red. Yeah, and like, I mean, let's face it, James Graham, if he was any lighter, he'd be translucent. And, you know, he must get sunburned when he turns on the light. But he still does it. He's the reddest player I've ever seen. But he gets the job done. I love James Graham. Oh, I, I, I think he's a, I think he's one of the most underrated British forwards we've had coming over here. And I know that's a bit odd because he's pretty highly rated. But I think too many people fawn over Sam Burgess more when... Um, I think James Graham is so much, so much more valuable to a side that uh, we we won't we won't go and give the the Great Britain players too much hype. Well, look, I I think that the um, I, look, I think the most underrated English imports we've had in the last thirty years. It's number one, Harvey Howard, and number two, Dennis Dennis Betts's dog. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so there you go. I, I take it Andy Curry's got a, a, a close three. Yeah, he might be, yeah. Um, uh, Richie Mathers for the Gold Coast, he was pretty underrated. He, was, uh, he wasn't too bad in reserve grade. So, there was a look, there was a player, and I can't remember his name, and I'm going to have some PTSD moments here. This is my nah, this is my name, where... Uh, Matthew Elliott brought over an English player, and I can't remember his name. He never played a single game of first grade for us. And it was like, I remember even English fans were getting in touch with me saying, what the hell is this? And I was like, I don't know. I can't tell you. I don't know what he's thinking. And I, I can't remember the dude's name, and it's not his fault. You know, if if the Panthers offered me a contract, I'd take it up too, but... There's been some some shockers that don't get talked about, but we're going to talk about those in a previous in a in a episode going forward. So we won't get too much into into imports and stuff. But it was just when we were talking about Burley, and you know we went on a deep dive so that we started off looking up you know statistics and promoted teams, relegated teams and stuff, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm ringing up the Bureau of Meteorology looking for <laughs> the, the temperature. And Burley Heads. And October 1699. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Fantastic. Um, on, on that fantastic note, one thing we will say is um, we've got a cracking 21st episode coming up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, been working on this one for a while. Um, yeah. You're going to love it. So um, we'll have that one. It's, we go into as much detail as we possibly can on the subject and really get to a you know, a, a, I think a conclusion that um, it just can't be argued with. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say our best episode yet. Would you? Definitely, yeah. I, with all of the research that we've done on the subject, and like it's very rare that you get a, a lot of times you get uh, situations in the game that just aren't black and white. And I think that this one, like once we looked into it, it was so black and white that it was like, wow. So I'm, I really can't wait for that one. Yeah, no, so that'll be... Um, we, we might try and get it to you this week. Um, yeah, we might put it bit. out on Sunday 
I think, um, just to end the week with, it'll, it'll be a nice, nice one to, you know, you can sit there Sunday night, chill out and have a listen to it. Yeah, no, I think it's a good idea. So you uh, keep your keep your eyes and ears peeled for that one. Um, yeah, we'll wrap it up. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. you can find us on YouTube, like and subscribe all the videos on there. Give us five star ratings on on iTunes. Um, Freaky's going to follow every single person who um, subscribes. Just send him a screenshot of you doing that on iTunes. Yeah, if or... you just take a screenshot, send it to me. Even if you take a screenshot of or a picture of just you listening to it in your car or something anybody that does that likes subscribes you know send it to me on uh on twitter at league freak and i'll follow you automatically it's just a slam dunk follow so um because we love all of the support that you lot are giving us it's been absolutely fantastic and it does not go unnoticed every time you retweet something or share something we we wish we could give something back to everybody that did it and there's not much we can really give back outside of just we'll follow you yeah so no yeah get on there get into that um i said you can find him on on uh, twitter at league freak i'm there at andrew rlp um yeah that's pretty much it for this episode yeah it was a good one i enjoyed it Absolutely. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you all later.